Good morning. Oh, praise the Lord. What a wonderful, wonderful atmosphere this is to be in the presence of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Wow. Wonderful to be here today. I just am so thankful for this church. We spent seven wonderful years here. I wish... Uh, on the way down here this morning, I said, honey, what would have happened if we had not received that phone call? And the last 20 years now that have gone by since we left, what if we'd have still been here? You know, the, the, the whole scenario would totally have been changed. And God has an amazing way of filling our life with surprises, most of them wonderful, some of them difficult, but... All of them turn out wonderful. How many know that all things do work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purposes? And so it's just wonderful to be here. We are so thankful for Don and his wife and for this church. And I tell you, I, I was thinking this morning, how many pastors do I know that's like Don Schiltz? Very few. You are so fortunate. I say this publicly. I could say it privately. I could write a book about it. Don and his wife are two of the most able, wonderful pastors that I know any place in the world. I mean that. I mean that. Hallelujah. And as you know, I visit about 50 churches a year, and so that covers uh, a lot of places. And uh, so we're proud of this church, we're proud of you people, the testimony of this church, the example of this church, it's a, it's a pattern church. I could recommend anyone, if they're having difficulty in their structure, the church, in a, in, especially in a, a community, a small community, you know, we're, we're not in Minneapolis, you know, and we're not in Denver or Los Angeles. But, you know, God has not forsaken the small places. Amen. That's right. Hallelujah. And, and the Lord really spoke to me this morning. He said, tell the saints at Bible Temple, uh, excuse me, Bible uh, Cap Center, excuse me, to keep focused on Jesus. You know, there's a lot of people getting a lot of attention right now. Don't keep your focus on a trumpet or Mr. Trump. You know, or don't keep your focus on the other lady. I forgot her name. I... Intentionally. <laughs> but keep your focus on Jesus. Because our hope is not in either one of these parties, no matter what your stand may be, you know. It's kind of the difference between the Vikings and the Packers, you know. They're, they're both great. The losers are tremendous teams. And our, our hope is not in the United States of America. I love the United States of America. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Yeah. He's the only leader that has a guarantee of an everlasting kingdom. That's right. 
at which every nation, every tribe, every tongue is going to bow before him. Don't forget that. The Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 7 that that the kingdom of of God is going to be delivered to the saints. That's That's you. Forever and forever. We've got to keep reminding ourselves that this is only temporary. Whatever the problems may be facing our nation, and we are in, I believe, the greatest crisis that the world has ever seen. We're, if we're not, we're near that point. Both Daniel prophesied there'd be a time of trouble such as never has been nor ever will be again. That's in Daniel chapter 12. And of course, I think that we can also see that in, in what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that this know also that in the latter times, perilous, I mean perilous times, you hate to even get up in the morning and turn the news on and see what tragedies have happening all over the world to people that God loved just as much as He loves you and I. We must never forget that. Suffering, it's different to hear about the suffering of other people, but when it hits home, then it makes an impression upon our life. So this, this is a time frame when we must, absolutely every one of us must understand that we count. We count. Every one of you count. You are very, very important in your community, in your culture, to maintain your culture. America has lost so much. I'm getting close to the age of my wife. 82 years old. She's older than I am. She just had a birthday a couple weeks ago. But I'm getting close to that age. And, and I look back to when I was four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. And I it's, it's unbelievable the acceleration of evil that is becoming acceptable. And I don't know whether I have told you this before because I can't remember when I was here last. But early this spring, I was on my way to a housewarming. An elderly couple had moved into our area uh, from Las Vegas, and they'd bought a house, and we was going to have a housewarming. And I don't know why it happened at this moment. I pulled up in front of the house, and all at once, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, I don't know whether it was audible, it was so, with such clarity and such profound power, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Paul, your new assignment is to teach your grandchildren and great-grandchildren to live in Sodom. That was before the decision was made by the most powerful courts in our nation that same-sex marriage was going to become acceptable in America. And things have accelerated. I was just with a pastor's group this last week, and this pastor told me that, he said, from my state, the state that he is from, he said, there's an, a new bill that's been introduced into the state, the state of New York, in which a young woman who was raised in a divided home. Her father, her mother, 
were divorced. She was totally alienated from her father for years. Finally, she went through a couple divorces herself, bad marriages, and finally was reunited with her father and discovered now she's in love with her father. So now she has appealed to the courts that she can marry her father. Now, this seems strange to us, but we, we are living in a crisis hour in which the, the offer is made to us in so many ways as Christians who, who must live out their faith every moment of every day now. You're being challenged in so many, in so many ways to deny your faith. But we must live out our faith every day. And so the, the, the opportunity is out there. And the tendency is, well, let's just kind of tone things down. Uh, we, we don't have to take such a strong position on issues. We can just kind of evade them. We can hide them. We know they're out there, but we don't have to get involved. We are involved because our children are involved. And you see, the system has the minds of our children much longer than you have the minds of your children. And we are stewards of the next generation. Did you hear me? We are the stewards. Whatever we plant is going to be reaped in the next generation. If we don't plant anything in our children, we just raise them uh, to be good kids, and we give them everything they need and provide everything they want, and we make them happy, but we don't plant the fear of the Lord in them, or we do not plant uh, integrity in them. We don't plant in them good work habits, work ethics. If we don't plant in them honesty, if we don't plant in them godliness, if the only seeds that we plant is make them happy, give them everything they want, the next generation is going to have a reaping worse than we have it today. So you and I are responsible for at least three generations. That's what the Bible teaches. Us, our children, our children's children, and our children's children. And so... We have a stewardship. That's a part of responsibility. I sat down in the mall a few months ago, waiting on a person, and a man just came and sat down with me, invited him to at my table, sat there and looked at me. I happened to be wearing a small cross. And, and, and I could see anger in his eyes. And he said these words to do. He said, what does that piece of junk hanging around your neck represent to you? I said, that represents the death of the Lord Jesus Christ who died on Calvary for your sins. He said, if your God is so big, why doesn't he do something about the conditions in the earth. And immediately we got involved in a conversation, and he was very, very angry at God because 
God had taken his wife, and now he was forced to live alone. And he began to pour out of people all the anger that he had against God because, and he, and, and, and I, I think the man was actually Jewish because he immediately brought up, I, I said, well, God is a good God. I said, God gives you breath every day. You're, you're sitting here next to my table without my invitation because God give you the breath to get up this morning and come here to the mall and do whatever you do. And I begin to talk about the goodness of God. He said, I wouldn't treat God like God, cre- God treats those that you think he created. And he brought up the masses of people that were killed by Hitler in the Second World War. I said, God didn't do that. I said, God warned That nation of people for hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of years, God warned them, warned them, give them every opportunity to change, to turn back to him. He he was very patient. He was long-suffering. And I said, God did not send that judgment. They were reaping their consequences of their own choice. They chose that to happen because God said this is what's going to happen. And you see, people say, well, is, is American being judged by God? God doesn't have to judge us if we follow certain ways of rebellion against his word. There is a automatic consequence and God doesn't have to do anything to bring it on to us. Because, you see, God has given us the stewardship of the earth. And God has given us the stewardship of the church. The church in America is in the condition it is because of lack of stewardship. Men and women like Don Schultz and, and other great men and women of God, like Jan, women, Jan, like Jan, other men and women of God that I know that stand up for that which is right. But the church has become silent. You see, John the Baptist came on the scene, and what did he say he was? He said, I am a voice, not an echo. I am not an echo of what everybody else wants me to say, or what is politically correct, or what is easy. I want to be a man of God, and I challenge you this morning, I want to see you as men and women of God that will be a voice while we still have opportunity to sound the trouble and to be that voice in the world today. And so we must train our generation. I'd like to ask you to turn your Bibles. How many know I have not started preaching yet? (laughs) Thank you. I'll let you know when I do. But I'd like to have you turn your Bibles to the book of Numbers. I want to focus... On Numbers chapter 14, I'm going to refer to many different places. But I want to focus on a statement that the Lord himself has to say. In Numbers chapter 14 and verse 24, we read these words. The subject of my message this morning is Caleb and a different spirit. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 24. Let's read 23 and 24. 
they certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of them who rejected me see it. How many know if we reject the word of the Lord, we actually are rejecting the Lord himself? It's just not a matter, well, I can put the Bible aside, you know, it don't apply to me anymore. No, if you do that, if you put that aside, you're rejecting the Lord. God gave, God gave a specific command, an outline, mission for the children of Israel, and they rejected it. And God didn't say, well, we're going to go, we're now going to, uh, we're going to go to point B, you know. Or second best or something. Listen to what he said, though. But he said, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Now, this also includes Joshua. I want you to think for a moment about the events that are just about ready to take in the nation, take place in the nation of Israel. The children of Israel came from Mount Sinai, and if you look at, at uh, Deuteronomy 1 for just a second here, Deuteronomy chapter 1, and verse 1 and 2, it says, These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of Jordan, in the wilderness, in the plain opposite, Suf, between Paran, Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It is 11 days' journey from Sinai, or Mount Horeb, by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Now think of that. 11 days' journey. It should have only taken the children of Israel 11 days to get from Mount Sinai to the land of Canaan, the land of promise. Eleven-day journey. That's not too bad, is it? Notice the next verse. Now, it came to pass in the 40th year. I should have titled my sermon this morning, Evading a 40-Year Delay. Think of it. Only 11 days journey, they should have been there. But it says, it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, in the first day of the month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all the Lord had given him as commandments to them. He rehearses now, 40 years later, what he had spoken just a few days before it says 11 day journey. We're going to start out and we're headed to the right place, and now you're 40 years later. A lot happened during that period of time. In chapter 13, the Bible gives the story of a commandment that the Lord gave. I want to remind you that this was the Lord, because I, I had a man challenge me one time. He said, God never told the children of Israel to send out 12 spies. Moses did that. Well, chapter 13, 
Verse 1, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men. So this is God's idea, right? To spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving the children of Israel. So the Bible tells us in verse 3 here, that according to the command of the Lord, all of them, men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now, I looked up that word heads. And it's, it means men of rank. It means captains. It means chiefs. It means excellent ones. It means the first it means the best. It means the finest. So out of three to six million people, there were 12 of the very finest. I mean, they searched out and found the, the, the most capable of men of all. Included in here was Joshua and Caleb. Now, I took time, which I don't have time to go into, but I took time to look at the meaning of every one of their names. Let me just go through quickly a few names. Shama means renowned. Shaphat means defend and to vindicate. Caleb means attacker and ferocious. Egal means avenger. Hosea which is Joshua, his name meant deliverer. But how many know that the Bible tells us here that, that Moses changed his name from Hosea to Joshua, which means Jehovah shall save. Halti means rescuer. Gadiel means distributor of the fortunes of God. Amiel means people of God. Setha means to hide, to protect, to cover. Nabher means concealment and safety. And Gavo means stubborn, determined. So think of it. Twelve of the very finest of the warriors, visionaries, who were trained and equipped, God sent them out as spies. And Moses said, I want you to go. He said this, I want you to go to the land where you sent us. It truly, oh, excuse me. I want you to, oh, verse 20. Whether the land is rich or poor, whether they're forced they're there or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. And now the time was the season of first grape. And the Bible says the grapes of escrow, they were so big, they were like oranges. And it took two men to carry one limb of them. It, can, can you imagine? I've seen down the Mediterranean. And I've seen I've seen grapes that were I've seen grapes that were size of of, of uh, small oranges. And here it took two men when they to carry these grapes when they came back. But they were sent to see what kind of a place this was like. They were sent to bring back the good news that what God had said yeah. was true. Yeah. Yeah. And so, right in the midst of this, the Bible tells us, just 
Previous to that, a crisis had taken place. I want to tell you something. Anytime God is about to do something good, something great, we always have to go through a time of trial. We always have some crisis that we're facing. Anytime there's a visitation, anytime there's a time of refreshing, something happens that causes us to need to be refreshed. And of course, we know the terrible thing that happened when Miriam, think of it, Miriam and Aaron stood up and they spoke evil against Moses because of his wife. Now, I know how that would feel if somebody come up and tell, say something nasty about my wife. Right. See, But th- they were challenging his leadership. Now think of it. This was his brother and his sister. It's not only that there is a crisis between brethren, but this is a family affair. Did you know that the Bible says that Jesus warned that because the, 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 love, the love of many shall grow cold, then there be people betray one another in families. You know, I just want to encourage this morning. I, I've dealt so much with this. I talk to people and say, well, how, how are you doing with your brothers and sisters? How, how's your family? I was talking to one of my family members through marriage, and I said, how many brothers and sisters you got? He said, well, I got one brother and I got one sister. I, well, I know his sister. I said, well, I've never met your brother. He said, he don't have anything to do with us. He would, he's never had anything to do with us since he was 16 years old. He alienated himself from us because something our dad did to him. He ran away from home, left home. We've tried to communicate with him, tried to make things right, tried to get together. But he won't have anything to do with us. You know, as Christians, it's time to forgive, right? Time to move on. Anyway, they got that issue settled. And Miriam, of course, leprosy came on her. And aren't you glad that the Bible says, so Miriam was shut up for the camp for seven days and the people did not journey. Isn't that good? They didn't leave her behind. You know, when people make mistakes in our church, then what do we do? We, the old way is, well, whatever the, wherever the tree falls, just let it lay there. Just let it stay there, you know. No, the Bible says the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. Hallelujah. Come on, bring everybody in together. Unity is so important in the body of Christ. Amen. So they got that issue settled. And afterward... The Bible says the people moved from there to Paran. Now, it's important that we move on. I don't care what the issues are in your life. Don't stay where you're at. It's time to move on. You've had a bitter time. You had a struggle in your life. You have a problem in your life, an addiction in your life. If you've blown it, if you've sinned, I don't care what's happened. Don't stay there because there's something better in the future. They didn't stay around and mourn and weep and cry over what uh, Miriam had done and and give her a long period of time to explain the cause of it and everything. Listen, that's not important. The thing of it is, 
They didn't stay there. They didn't get locked into that wilderness. They moved to Paran. Now, where's Paran? Paran is just a little bit south of the promised land. All they have to do is get the act together and cross the river, and they're going to be River Jordan, and they're going to be in the promised land. So they didn't stay back here where this bitter experience happened. They journeyed on. Isn't it, isn't it wonderful that we don't have to be locked in to who we were? That's right. Amen. We don't have to be forever, say, we don't have to stand up and say, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. No, thank God we can say, I was. I was a sinner. I was addicted. I was an alcoholic. I was a boozer. I was a fornicate. I was, it doesn't matter what you was. Your future's not wrapped up in your past. You've got to journey from those places and leave them behind and never go back there again. Every time the children of Israel murmured, somebody said, well, we need to go back. Remember that? We, we, oh, come on. Let's choose a new leader and let's just go back to Egypt. Let us die there. Who wants to die in Egypt? There's no future in that. No, it's time to move on from wherever we've been, even some of the good things. Some of the good things can rob us of the better things. God has a better life for you, every one of you. He's got better things for your family. I see... My great-grandchildren, we get 13 of them little things moving around in their life now. And I see them and say, my God, they've got as much wisdom as I've got already. I mean, we've got one of them that, I mean, he started talking before he started walking. I'm serious. And, and to see, to see what has come out of Juanita and I now, all these years, we're beginning to see the wonder, the wonder of the goodness of God and what He has for our children. We should stand back when we see our children excel and doing better than we are. We should stand back and applaud them and thank God for it, not be jealous of it. One of the sad things in church is I see pastors that have been there forever. And they won't pass the baton because the guy that they're raising up is a better preacher than he is. Man, that's what I want. Man, I got a, a, a young boy that my grandson threw my daughter. I mean, he's already a better preacher than I am. Steve's a better preacher than I am. That, that's okay. That makes me happy. Hallelujah. To see that we can move beyond ourselves. So now, Caleb and Joshua have a problem. They have been over into Canaan. How many glad that we can get just a little taste of Canaan? Now, Canaan's not heaven, by the way. No, Canaan's not heaven. Canaan is entering into the rest of the Lord. How many know we can live together with Jesus right now? How many know that we can reign in life right now? Let's, don't 
worry about the millennium. Let's start reigning now. Romans 5, and I believe it's verse 12, says that we can reign in life right now. Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians that whether we live or die, we can live now with Jesus. Living with Jesus is not something after we get to heaven, people think, man, it's going to be wonderful when we get over there. I tell you, you won't even recognize him if you don't start living with him now. So there's something better that we can have. There is a Canaan for us to enter into. There is a presence in God, a relationship that Jesus describes in John chapter 17 that is beyond my imagination. If we literally take everything that Jesus said in John 17 and begin to practice it and begin to long for it, we, would, we wouldn't want to get to heaven so quick. There's only way to get there now, you've got to die. And I'm not particularly anxious about that. I don't mind dying. It's just the way that some of us have to die. So anyway, the odds are 10 to 1. It looks pretty evident who's right. Amen? They come back. Listen to what it says. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Can you imagine the excitement of people when they saw grapes the size of oranges? This is just a little example. I mean, tremendous, tremendous promises that God gave to them. And they were seeing them right there before their eyes. Then they told him the ten all 12 of them told him this. We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is the flute. Nevertheless, the people who dwell there are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw Nephilim. How many knows what Nephilim is? Giants. We saw giants. They not only saw giant fruit, they saw giant people. The descendants of Anak. Now, if we go back to the history of Anak, we'd find out that he was the father of the giants. During the days of Noah and also afterwards. The Amalekites dwell in the land, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites. They dwell along the ranks of the river. And the Bible says, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession. For we are able overcome it. I don't know about you. I want to be in that group. I want to be in that group that says we are able. That's the spirit of Caleb. Not that we are unable, but that we are able. We are able. That word able means we are strong. We are powerful. We are capable we are equipped. We can do whatever God told us to do. No question about it. 
If he said to do it, that means he's going to qualify us. He's already qualified us. He's going to equip us. And we can do exactly what he said we can do. I have people tell me, oh, you can't do that. I have four appointments at Brother Mayo Clinic this week coming up. Because I have lost another 42% in my right ear. I have 7% over here. So when you come to me and start whispering this ear, I just agree with everything you say. <laughs> in fact, if I'm in a restaurant and you're talking to me, I just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. I don't know what I'm saying yes to. But I want to be in agreement with you. <laughs> Somebody said, give me a hundred bucks. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> come on, do it. I don't know what I'm doing. No, but I have I have appointment to see about getting a cochlear ear ear implant. Possibility. I don't know what's going to happen or not. I don't like it. I don't want it. But if it can improve my ability to hear some, then it'll make it easier for me to be in the ministry. But then they say you need to check it out. People say, well, you you got to talk to some people. You know what that produces? This guy said, oh, it's wonderful. I've got one lady pastor friend that she was deaf in both ears. Within three days, she's able to hear perfectly on telephone. I've got another friend that says, oh, it's terrible. Now, who am I going to believe? Who am I going to believe? I'm going to settle it in my own heart. Who am I going to believe? There's always odds against you. Did you hear me? Your upbringing, what your parents taught you, what you're being taught in the church, what you hear on TV. You know, all these things affect you. And so you've got to determine, am I going to stand with God or, I'm going to, or, or am I going to accept what the world thinks I should believe and what I should practice? And so the Bible says there was ten it was 10 to 2. Ken said, nope, we're not able. We don't have the power. We don't have the strength. We can't attain it. We can't endure this. Ken of Arbor said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are able to overcome it. Finally, it got so hot. He said, we're not going. And what those ten men said, they discouraged the people. Six million people, potentially, now are taking side against Joshua and Caleb. And what did they say? Let us stone them. Now, how many know the majority is always right? <laughs> the majority... It makes sense. It don't make sense. Here's two guys. We know these are good guys. We know that Joshua is in second command to, to Moses. And we know that Caleb is a strong man. He's, he's ferocious. I mean, I mean, this guy, I mean, he'll take on anything. But man, it don't make sense. Now we've got six million people against two. But they leave God out of the picture. 
We have to always revert back to what God said. Amen? What does God say in his word? I wish I could tell you that I hear an angel blow a trumpet and wake me up every morning. I woke up at 3 o'clock this morning and it was lightning up a trumpet. I've been up ever since. I couldn't go back to sleep. So I was talking to the Lord and he's talking to me. Not audibly. But I see, when I fail to hear from him in my spirit, I got this book. I don't need a prophecy. I don't need another one. I need to do the ones that have been given to me. I'm serious. If God ever spoke to you, don't wait for another prophecy to have him say something else. Do what he said, and then he'll tell you when he's got a new mission for you. So the Bible, God himself says, all of you ten guys, because you rebelled against me, you're not going to go in. In fact is, you're going to die. And all of them died that very day. But God said now to the rest of the people, said, all of you that said your children are going to miss out. You're going to miss out. You're going to have to wait 40 years till all of you older people die, and your children are going to inherit what you should have inherited with them. I mean, God know that God cares about your children. You can, all, you can go with them on the journey that God has given them, or you can stay where you're at if you choose to. Because God is putting something in the spirit of every one of your children that says, I love mom and dad, and I can't say enough good about my parents. But my parents were locked into some traditions that robbed them. And I had to make the decision, not not to disrespect them, but I had to make the decision, I'm not going to go that same old pathway I'm going to put aside some of my traditions, some of my legalisms, and I'm going to move on with the flow of the Spirit. How many know that the Holy Ghost is leading us into new truth all the time? We're not just going to be locked into our own little world. I want to go the best I can. My wife and I struggle with some of the cultural changes in the church. And I'm a person that believes strongly in giving respect and honor to the aged. One thing I'll never forget, when I came to this church over 20 years ago, the first year I was here, the Lord was leading Don and his wife into some new directions. And one thing Don told me, and I'll never forget it, he said, Paul... God told me not to leave the old people behind. You remember telling me that? That was about 27 years, 26 years ago that God spoke that. And I've, I, I've thought of that so many times. So how many people said, well, I'm not going to take them with me. They're just baggage. I don't care what they think. And that's the attitude in the church, many churches. I don't, we're the young generation. We, we got new methods, new ways. We, we can't, we're not, if they won't go, Let them stay where they're at. No? 
You got to take Miriam with you. Miriam still needed. She has value. Some of the aged people that are in this church, I just want to honor you for your faithfulness. I think of Cloyce and Diane. I think of that man of God. They're probably not here this morning, not able to get out like they used to be. But I think the faithfulness of people like that. And that's what—that's a treasure in this house. We can't leave anybody behind. Because we're moving on. Now what was the different spirit in Caleb? Number one, Caleb would not be influenced by bad reports. He would not be influenced by bad reports. He saw the giants too. Some people see giants as obstacles. Some people see giants as opportunities. Look at your problems as opportunities to overcome. Look at your mountains as something you can climb or you can remove it. Maybe one shovel at a time. And we want to be the kind that just speak to the mountain and it disappears. Some people have to dig themselves out of the mountain. You see, they saw the sons of Anak. They saw the fortified cities. They saw the impossibilities. But they also knew that God said... I'm going to be with you. It doesn't matter what you're facing as a family or a church or a community. We are here to make our communities better. Just stop and think of absolutely every Christian we're taking suddenly. People can't wait for the rapture. Get us all out of here. Man, I wouldn't be one to hang around to take every Christian out of here. You talk about chaos and crisis. No, we're here to listen to good reports. Caleb's mindset was let's don't wait. Let's don't wait. We'll put this off to the next business meeting. We'll put this off for next year. We'll, we'll delay it now. We, we just can't do it now. God's saying to go this direction. Well, we're just not prepared to, to make that kind of change or that kind of adjustment. We're not prepared. Let, let's put it off to later. He said, no, let us go up at once and we are going to possess. How many possessors do we have here? Come on. I refuse to accept the fact that my children, my grandchildren, great-grandchildren are going to be forced to accept everything that they're being forced to accept. No, the power of the Word of God is more powerful than anything the devil can produce. Did you hear me? The Word of God is powerful. It's a sword of the Spirit. We've got to equip our children, not just by telling the Bible stories. That's wonderful. But we've got to equip the church 
and they're a part of the church, to do the work of the ministry. Number three, Caleb's confidence in God's word. That was his spirit. We are well able to overcome them. Now, there's three positions we can take. We can take a neutral position, a defensive position, or both a defensive and offensive position. How many know that sometimes the greatest defense is a defense? Sometimes the only thing you can do is punt. You can't get across the line, you have to punt sometimes. You have to go back and do it over again. But the next time, you're more, pre- more prepared. Only Joshua and Caleb were numbered by Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Only they come out. Where do you read the names of these other guys anymore in the Bible? You don't, you don't read about them getting their inheritance. Joshua reclaiming a mount, mountain. He said, give me Mount Hebron. He said, I'm just as strong today as I was 45 years, 40 years ago. I started out on this journey when I was 45 years old and I was a young man, powerful. He said, at 85, I'm just as powerful as I was then. Give me this mountain. He got... He took so much possession that he had extra stuff to give to his daughter and the rest of his family. Caleb brought back the word that was in his heart. Have you checked out your heart lately? What's in your heart? Out of the abundance of the heart, The mouth speaks. You see, there was something, there was a heart condition in these other ten men. Because what did they speak? We're unable. We can't do it. This is too big. It's not time. We're going to go back and regroup. No. The Bible tells us that it was not in their heart. I know about you. I want to re-give my heart to Him. I don't want to ever say no to people which is also no to God. See, these ten men had a responsibility for these people. They were depending upon whatever those men said. They was depending on what they could do. If you say we can do it, then we can do it. We'll have the courage to do it. That puts me in a position whether I like the responsibility of a role model. Did you know that your role model Every one of you are a role model to somebody. You're a role model. What you say, people hear. They listen to. 
And they're probably going to follow your advice. People come to him all the time and say, Paul, give me some advice. I said, turn to Jeremiah 36. You know, I, I, my advice is no different than anybody else's. I, I'm, I may be looking at things wrongly. What we need to do is to teach people to hear the voice of God. So that they get it in their hearts. No, those men all died. They were buried. They were left there on the wrong side of Jordan. And the rest of them had to wait 40 years. They buried people for 40 years. Until every last one of the old generation had died. Joshua drove out the three sons of Anak. I like this. The very ones that they said, well, the sons of Anak are there. Now when it says three sons, that means three nations. It wasn't just three young men. Each one of them represented a nation of people, a culture of people. I mean, they, they'd inhabited the whole land. They'd built their homes or cities, and each one of them probably was a king over at least one city. Many of many of them. So it says, Joshua drove out the three sons of Anak and gives their three names here. That means he conquered them, and now they can divide the spoils. You know, this church has done so much for missions, reached your arms around the world, people. There are people that we have been able to lead to the Lord. Hundreds of churches in France, England, countries. This church has supported us financially every year. Every year. And you see, we are stewards of what you've given. We're money changers. Did you know that? We change money into souls. You see, Jesus told the man that hid his talent, his piece of gold or whatever it was, he said, why didn't you get the money changers? I mean, know that Jesus knows how to change money into souls. That's right. We're responsible. John Schultz is on my board. Gordy is on my board. This beautiful young lady over here, who's a grandma now, she's on my board. See, I'm accountable. But they know that we turn money into souls. We don't just buy new yachts every year. We've only got one. That's... <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have said that. By the way, we did buy a new mattress. Was it last year, honey? After 30 years, I think we bought, finally bought a new mattress. I, I got to report that because we took a little bit of that money by that mattress. See. <laughs> but the thing of it, we, we are accountable. We're stewards. Come on. We're stewards of everything, God. You don't own one thing. 
I don't own, I even though my name is on automobiles, and I've even got a motorcycle, I hate to tell you. I've got a trike, a Harley. I used to be a Honda man, now I'm a Harley. I drive a Honda and ride a Harley. Amen. But we don't own anything. We're stewards. You're going to turn out, you're going to relinquish your stewardship someday. How you use your stewardship, how you use your money, your talent, your ability. Did you waste it or did you do it? You invest in something that's eternal. How many want to move beyond where you're at this morning? Let's stand together. Amen. Stand together in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you for this, this church, Lord, who has a mindset like Caleb and Joshua. I thank you for a mindset that says always yes to the kingdom of God. I just believe there's some, some people here this morning that just move, need to move off of dead center. Just move off. You're, you're not bad. You're not backslid. You're not lost. Just need to move off of dead center. And just move away from some of those things, some of those places in your life that have, that have produced bitterness. I was thinking that of chapter 12, I think it is. All these wonderful things happen, and all at once the children begin to lust after flesh. And God sent them quails. And while the flesh was in their mouth, the plague broke out. It doesn't tell us how many died, but a lot of people died. And they had to wait to bury them. But you know, they moved beyond. They moved beyond that. We have to move beyond, in our journey, we have to move beyond anything that's held us back. Bad experiences, bad marriages, whatever it is. I'll tell you, there's a grace of God that's available for you this morning that, that can be a catalyst to eject you out of that pitch that you are in and move you forward into the things in the future. And if that's you this morning and you want prayer, you just feel free to come. I'm going to close out right now. Anybody that wants prayer, needs a, somebody to just agree with you, we'll be here to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I, I bless, I eulogize these people. The word bless means to eulogize. Yes, Lord. We eulogize these people, Lord, while they're living, while they can hear it, while they can feast upon them. We declare that these are God's people. We declare that these are saints of God. We declare that these people are spirit-filled. We declare that these people are faithful. We declare that these people are honorable. We declare that these people are powerful. We affirm them as your children. We declare that these are your sons and your daughters. We declare that nothing can stop them. That they are going to rise up and go up at once and possess what you have for them, Lord. They're not going to be restricted or restrained. They're not going to listen to bad reports, Lord, but they're going to listen to the good report of your word. 
word which says, I have made you conquer. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. And we declare overcoming power for every family and every individual here this morning. In the name of Jesus and by the power of the blood of Christ, Jesus our Lord, who overcome and we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by our own word of testimony. Amen. 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 In the name of Jesus.